potential for chaos and a lot of people to be angry about a lot of things because like I think I, I, I that could get even worse actually in terms of like because then you'll see a team get in that a lot of people will be like really no welcome to an ATC podcast I'm Lauren Brownlow and I was already kind of leaning towards at least having my guests on for like a segment to break down the new ACC commissioner but I knew I was going to have her on for sure, or at least ask when I read what she wrote for The Athletic about the playoff. And I saw the question that she asked on the teleconference because I loved it so much. Um, Nicole Auerbeck from The Athletic. Hello. Hi. Well, thanks for having me. So new commissioner and you have a pretty good relationship with him based on what you've said. Um, and you, you know a lot about him. Jim Phillips was the AD at Northwestern and honestly biggest selling point for me the father of <laughs> the, the what was he like maybe eight nine ten something like that I don't know I'm bad with kids ages <laughs> yeah something like that when they were in then the the tournament um yeah I think what was our what do we generally call him the crying Northwestern kid right and he's like in utter agony with like his face is red and he's got his hands on his head and he just can't he can't take it. And it's just, it's really such an identifiable sports fan moment. Um, like we've all been that kid. Um, so like you understand it and, you know, especially in relation to like Northwestern athletics, you get it. But I mean, even in plenty of ACC fan bases can say the same. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very identifiable and charming moment. And um, so, yeah, what, what can you tell us uh, both about maybe the personality of uh, the commissioner and, and, and an interesting choice for the ACC? I think a lot of people thought they might go in a more media-driven direction, considering the sort of media rights landscape that we're in right now in college athletics. Yeah, I, I think it was really interesting. Um, and just to backtrack, um, a year plus prior, when the Big Ten was in its search for commissioner, uh, Jim Phillips was someone that everyone thought was the front runner or was very likely to get it. Um, you know, it was someone who seemed to be kind of groomed for such a position, had really good grasp of NCAA issues um, and all of kind of those fundamental uh, things facing this 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 model right now, from name, image, and likeness to the transfers to everything. He's been on a lot of NCAA committees. Um, he's chaired the inaugural D1 Council. Like he's he's been in a lot of these leadership positions um, and making and part of big decisions in college sports. And you know, it was just very popular among Big Ten ads and and just very much felt like he was going to be the guy. And the Big Ten goes outside of the box, hires Kevin Warren from the NFL who didn't have experience in college. And, you know, and, and that's that. And, and I think that created this situation, I imagine, where you have someone who was positioned to be a commissioner, you know, had the right experience, had the right contacts, um, and, and clearly understood you know, what that role would have entailed. And the reason he didn't get the the job we all thought he was going to get is because the, the presidents wanted to go outside the box. And what's interesting with this is, you know, again, I understand that it's a sitting AD and he's, he's well-respected in college sports, but it technically counts as the ACC presidents going a little outside the box when you don't hire 
someone from an ACC school, um, you know, someone who, again, his ties are to no, uh, Notre Dame and, and Kevin White at Duke, but it's, it's technically you're, you're going into another league and hiring their athletic director. It's similar to when the big 12 commissioners, I'm sorry, when Bob Bowlesby was hired as big 12 commissioner at, from Stanford. And so it's, it's technically, you know, unexpected. It, it surprised me. It surprised people in the industry. And but in the same vein, you have someone who is very well respected, very well prepared, um, and has a really good grasp of all of these things. And and I think even you know, again, yes, the media rights landscape is the number one thing. But this is a very smart guy. He's nimble. He understands all of that stuff. Um, and I just think he's gonna be great. I mean, I, I was texting with Chris Collins. The other day when, you know, the morning after this broke, right before it was announced. And his reaction was similar to the one I had where, like, I live in Chicago, Northwestern's right here. Obviously, this is his actual boss. But it was, like, totally bummed that you lose that kind of personal interaction with someone. Um, Or in his case, you know, directly working with him every single day. But, like, he's going to kill it in the ACC. You know, like, and, and that's exactly the way that I felt about it as well. So, um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question at all, Lauren, but like that's sure. kind of the, how we got to this point. Like you had a commissioner in waiting, um, and the big 10 goes a different direction and he is available for the ACC where it appears, you know, from what I've been told, like Jim Clemens from Clemson was going to be the guy and something broke down in that process. And that's where Jim Phillips kind of comes in from the fringes of the search and kind of surprises everyone. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, certainly on a number of levels. Um, I, I wondered what direction they would sort of go into because, you know, there is this tension in the league at times between, you know, the old guard and the, and the new, you know, with the expansion and adding the Big East teams. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, and that's the part I do wonder about, too. I, I mean, I'm, he seems like a smart enough man and clearly enough people like him that I don't know that he would just come straight in and be like, screw Greensboro, we're going somewhere else. But, you know, I I don't know how much, like, I wonder if they'll leave their offices there. Like, I wonder if they'll still yeah. leave the tournaments there. I mean, who knows, I guess. But it's probably a good, I don't know if compromise is the right word, but a good, you know, sort of meeting in the middle between the old and the new of like, all right, well, we'll just go outside the league altogether with a guy right. that a lot of them really like. I know Bubba Cunningham has a relationship with him as well. Mike Krzyzewski was asked about it last night after Duke went over Notre Dame. And he said, um, uh, you know, made some jokes because they went to the same high school in Chicago and, and he made some jokes about that. And then he said, like, you know, John Swafford is, is handing the baton off to another fast runner. And, um, you know, so seemingly he really likes it too. It, it, mm-hmm. John Swafford was really good at building consensus as well. And, and if this guy, if Jim Phillips is as well liked as, as, you know, everybody seems to indicate, then that, that will certainly help him along that road too, I think, with the ADs, especially if they all like him. And, um, it's, it almost seems like the ADs maybe had a little more of a hand in this too, right? Like, because they're all like buddies with him in some way, or at least some of the more outspoken ones. Yeah. I, I think that. A lot of the ADs in the ACC have probably been on committees with Jim. They've probably known him for years, right? Like there, there's a group of 
um, athletic directors and I say group, but you know, it's just loosely, right. There's people that we consider kind of like leading voices in college sports, people who, you know, are in the know. And, you know, I put, uh, Joe Castiglione from Oklahoma in this group and he had a lot to say also about Jim getting this, um, opportunity. And I was texting with him this week. These are people who've been on committees with him. When you're, when you're someone like Jim Phillips and you've been on the basketball selection committee and the D one council and all of these very prestigious spots in, in college sports, you're going to be on them with other people who are are, um, you know, equally respected or, or striving or, you know, you know, kind of feel this ownership of, of the sports that they that they contribute to. And so it, it makes all the sense in the world. And, and I think, you know, when you when you look at what Northwestern has accomplished, um, both in football in this era, they're about to be in the Big Ten championship game for the second time in three years, the consistency that, that Pat Fitzgerald has built, the facilities that Jim oversaw. And then also, obviously, as we mentioned with the crying Northwestern kid face, his son, um, you know, that was from the NCAA tournament. It was a huge, 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 huge deal that Northwestern made the NCAA tournament for the first time. Yes. That was why you hire a Chris Collins away from Duke, right? Like that's, you know, so that there's there's certainly an understanding and appreciation of basketball, which is so important in this league, but also what it yeah. takes to win at a place like Northwestern in football. And then at the same time, the broad base, you know, sponsoring all the sports that they sponsor, being concerned about all of that in the current climate and what can survive. Like it's the exact right balance you want in the ACC in my mind. So he is, I guess he had some interesting comments on Packer and Durham about the collegiate model um, and wanting to, you know, keep it, I guess, more or less as it is, was how it was sort of interpreted and protect that model. Um, and I know that there are some ADs that have connections to Jim, Bubba Cunningham and Kevin White spring immediately to mind that even though this image, image and likeness stuff is, it, it's coming, I think they've expressed a little more reticence to let that happen than say like a John Swaffle, who I think had just sort of accepted like, this is what's happening. Right. Um, I guess what you know about Jim's feelings on this? Has he sort of, is he, is he like willing to just sort of, okay, this is what we're doing. Like we have to move forward as best we can, or it, does he kind of want to pump the brakes on this? Like, where does he stand on that? Uh, you know, I think that there are definitely, um, you know, there, there's definitely more, I would say purists and I'm not sure that's the yeah. right word. Um, but you know, like sometimes when Bubba Cunningham is kind of like, you know, gone wax poetically about the model, but then in the same breath, he's, he's made the case for like group licensing as opposed to, um, individual sponsorships and stuff when you talk about NIL. So I think like mm -hmm. there are people who really truly love the collegiate model, think that it's really, really important to protect the ability to have like broad-based offerings and offer so many sports and have so many opportunities for women through Title IX. So I think like that's where when when you have people who especially right now when, when so much is about to change and, you know, either through Congress, the Supreme court or like the NCAA legislation on its own, um, 2021, like something is going to change fundamentally in a lot of these spaces, plus the transfer stuff. I think that, you know, you, you definitely have people who are clinging to the past, whatever. But I also think when, when other people kind of defend elements of the model, it's, it's really about like the broad based offering piece. And, and that's what they're trying to protect and, and they may say it or phrase it different ways, but 
they, they just don't want to get to a point where schools are only sponsoring a couple of sports because they make money. Um, or because again, and this is like fear mongering, this idea that like all the money that people donate to, to college athletic departments would now just immediately go to players, like in endorsements, whatever, like that people aren't going to, you know, commit to schools anymore, which like isn't going to happen. But, um, I think, I think it's that type of thing. It's, it's, I, it's, it's less like, you know, my, my head stuck in the ground and more just like they, they are more purists about the the system and, and like the overall beliefs of it. But I think everyone in college sports right now is super aware of what is coming down the pipe. They know that 2021 is going to be like this year of transformation, that the model has to adapt. And there's a lot of administrators and, 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 even coaches throughout, you know, both sports, basketball and football who understand, you know, or support like the name, image and likeness reform. And, you know, there's a lot of ADs and administrators that support the transfer reform. And, and I know coaches are going to complain about it until it helps them and they get a transfer and you can play right away. But, you know, it, that, that's an issue that, that coaches kind of brought on themselves and administrators, you know, are, are ready to make that type of change and, and to uh, instill that element of fairness. So I think even even people who have been resistant to some of this stuff understand it's coming. And, and I just think that the way that, you know, kind of people talking about or defending it is is more like the ideology. Ugh, I can't speak ideology of it yeah. and yeah. less so than like. Um, like don't change the rules at all because they know the rules are changing. No, that makes sense. I think that's a good point. And that, that's probably fair. It's just, yeah, anytime an AD or an administrator says anything, there is this, you know, tendency to want to just latch on and be like, oh, that's what they want to do. And it's like, well, I, you know, they maybe wish they could do it that way, but they know they can. Um, and yeah, I, the, the other interesting thing I thought that came out was it seemed like he ideally would love, I mean, this is kind of a duh thing, I guess, but he would ideally love to have Notre Dame as I think he put it a fully integrated 15th member. Um, and I mean, look, uh, this one year experiment has been, you know, I think we can all agree it's been mutually beneficial. Um, Notre Dame, I think, might have had some trouble putting a, a solid schedule together considering the rules all the other conferences made for themselves. And uh, yeah, trouble might be putting in mildly. Although it would have been kind of a cool schedule. They could have played like BYU and Coastal and all these other teams. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think they would have had trouble putting together a schedule if the ACC didn't offer them that olive branch. And then, you know, the ACC couldn't in a, you know, pandemic be like, well, you have to join for all the sports forever or else we're not going to let you do this. Like they couldn't do that. So um, as much as I know, like literally some people wanted them to do that exact thing. Um, when this was like an issue, everybody was like, well, they should have to join full time or else they don't get the schedule. I'm like, guys, this, this is a global pandemic. That's not, that's not a thing that John Swafford's going to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it, I don't know. I don't know what it would take. It would certainly be a huge coup if he could pull that off, but I really don't know what you sell Notre Dame on at this point that they can't get on their own. What I think is, interesting about that whole process is when you have folks in the league like the Kevin White and now the Jim Phillips who have worked at Notre Dame and understand the fierceness with which people who work there and are associated with them cling to independence and the identity of independence. Um, I think that that 
that is really important context for, for people because I, I completely agree with what you're saying and that's the ACC perspective on this. And um, I think that one thing, you know, probably will be a dominant offseason storyline is like every AD and coach is going to get asked about, hey, so how was it with Notre Dame as a full-time member? Would you want them to stick, right? As if like, you know, that is something on the table, which it's not, as we know, this is right. a one-year deal. But I, I think that because it did work out so well, like it is going to become like a thing. But the people who worked at Notre Dame and, and come at it from that side understand why, even if maybe, you know, the they have to do their own schedule, they have to do their own media rights thing. Maybe they can get more through just being a full-time member of the ACC. But but they, they understand the, the pros in their list when they evaluate the pros and cons, which again, like to us, we're like, okay, like they want to be independent, whatever. But like to them, there's this like fierce loyalty to that idea and to being truly national and to playing Stanford and USC. And like there's certain things, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I think... That's what's helpful when um, we do have someone who's who's familiar with that, um, you know, kind of navigating it. Because again, like it did work out really, really well for both sides. The literally the best case scenarios being in a position to have two teams make the playoff, right? Um, yep. So you know, I just think that that like the drumbeat, the way to answer those types of questions, like that that stuff, will, he'll be prepared because he understands. I think both sides of it. Yeah, I I do too. And it, it, look, I mean, if they were in a position where they wouldn't make the play, I think it would take them not making the playoff because they didn't get, you know, a conference title game or maybe their schedule was not as strong as it has been typically, you know, that they make for themselves just because that can happen through bad luck and whatever else. Um, maybe they get the bad, all the bad ACC teams, maybe, maybe, you know, everybody's down that they usually play. And then all of a sudden, it's like they needed a chance to get into a conference title game and and knock somebody off, and they don't they don't get that chance, and they don't make the playoff. I think it would take that honestly and, for them to even consider it. Yeah. And what's funny about that is, and I think it was either Brian Kelly or Jack Swarbrick. I think it was maybe Kelly already had that great line about how well you know Ohio State's getting a lot of credit despite a drastic difference in the amount of games. So that's good news for. You know, the years where we go back to debating 12 versus 13 games, right? And I think that's a really funny point because some of the ridiculous things that the playoffs done this year to justify like their seating and selection and stuff um, will be very funny when people try to use it to justify things in non-pandemic years. And then they try to pretend like they didn't say and do these things. So I think that's pretty funny in terms of like that, that one data point that Notre Dame, you know, has gotten dinged for in the past and like could get dinged for in the future yeah no it's funny and that actually gets us nicely into what you wrote for the athletic which i just loved and i loved i saw that someone had asked the question of basically like florida loses to a bad lsu team and then you have undefeated teams below them that have multiple top 25 wins like why even play the games essentially and i loved I, I loved the question and then I loved even more that it was you that asked it because <laughs> you know, I obviously already think very highly of you. And I was like, this rules, like whoever asked this question rules. And it was already someone I thought ruled anyway. So yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've definitely looked at the playoff rankings with a lot of incredulity. Um, I usually do that. And I definitely have done that this year more than I think almost any other year. And, and I think it's because like, again, you know, we all have eyes and like we watch these games and we've seen these teams play and these are legit teams. And I don't even think, I don't know about you, Nicole. I I don't even think that I'm necessarily advocating that these teams should 
have access to the playoff. I'm just saying the way that they're being slotted is just so comically bad that you're basically saying at this point, these teams would never have the chance to make the playoff, even if like everybody had two or three losses. So that's where I think, I think the frustration is boiling over because yes, it's just laying bare that the group five teams have no shot and that Cincinnati is getting dinged for not being able to play when Ohio state has not Texas A&M was not this weekend and coastal is outside of the top 10 for like no reason, basically no reason. They have two top 20 wins better. That's a better resume or at least equal to that of teams, you know, in the, in the six, seven, eight, nine range. Um, and, and again, you have this like head to head result where we didn't have that many non-conference games, but we know the Sun Belt went three and oh, over the Big 12. And one of those results was Louisiana beating Iowa State by 17 points. And then Coastal Carolina has beaten Louisiana and yet is drastically separated in the rankings with Iowa State at number six and Coastal at 12. And so, like, I, I think that is one of the main egregious points. And then Florida only falling one point after losing to a previously three and five LSU team. That was bad. And to not be dinged by that. So I think that's really what set everyone off. And and I think that what's bothering me about all this is, you know, again, it's not like this particular selection committee, like seems to be making a lot of choices that we all disagree with, but it's the entity and the system and the way it's set up in the first place that you can say, I test and that can just justify whatever you want. The committee clearly like was pretty much had their minds made up on Ohio state. They put them in the top four right away with four games in. So it didn't matter how many games they were going to play fundamentally, if they thought at that point that they were one of the four best teams. So I I think, you know, it's, it's, it's these fundamental issues of fairness that are frustrating because they keep asking us to pretend this is a real playoff, that this really does decide the best teams on the field. And it doesn't, it's an invitational and the brand names matter and they will justify if a, team like Florida loses, they will justify that in a totally different way than if Coastal Carolina beats Troy, which apparently was held against them because they did it in the final minute. So oh it's, it, it's just... It's infuriating. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's infuriating. And so I think like, again, we all suspected all of these things, but this year they're just not even coming up with justification afterwards to like explain away any of these selections. And I think what's even more frustrating for me in a sense is that like, I feel like for the most part, they get the playoff, right? Like I have very rarely disagreed with who the playoff teams were. I don't think I will disagree this year. Right. So like that part is fine. It's not even that part that bothers me. It's like, by the way, a couple weeks ago, I think this was before Carolina even played Notre Dame. I could be wrong, but I remember being like, what? Like when they came out, I didn't even have Carolina ranked in my poll that week. They were like, I think they had two losses then. One of them was to Florida State, who was terrible. And they had no like top 25 win. Well, they have one top 25 win, I think, at least in my poll. Because I had a, I think I had NC State in at that point. I'm not sure, but whatever. Like that's not the point. Like they have some solid wins, but like they have two losses. And they were ranked below Coastal, who already had at least one ranked win at that point. And I'm just like, what? What are you doing? What is this? Yeah. Like, and again, usually they justify these things better after the fact. Like they'll still pick the teams they want, 
but then they'll like come up with some convoluted reasoning. And this year they just aren't even trying. They're just contradicting themselves all the time. Yeah. And it, it's just, I, that's the thing. It, it, because like where you are ranked does kind of matter in the sense of like what kind of bowl game you get into and everything else. And, and you know, it, it, I think like, I, I don't know. It's just frustrating. The thing is, it's a moot point, right? Because I've seen people say, oh, well, if Florida beats Alabama, they now have access to the playoff if something goes their way. Well, except that they're not going to. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I mean, so that's what I'm saying. Like, we know the four correct teams will get in, right? So then the issue just becomes, why are you ranking the others this way? Like, why is Florida even in a position in the first place to make it when we all know that they shouldn't be in that position? Why, before Georgia started playing way better, and they have, were they like the number eight team in the country when they had, I think they had one win over a team over 500 at that point? Well, the best is, so now you've got Gary Bowder, the chair, being like, well, Georgia's really found something with their quarterback. And you're like, you had them here before they started playing JT Daniels, you know? So again, it's like, usually they try better. Like usually it's not so transparent that they basically just like a couple of teams and dislike other teams and just are never going to give certain teams a fair shape. Right. Like usually they pretend better. Yes. It's it, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is for group of five, honestly. Um, I really don't. And I don't know. I, I, it would seem like they have to figure something else out because like they're never going to have access to a championship at this level, but I don't know what you do. Like they're kind of dependent on the money of the power five teams, at least to some degree, some programs aren't, but some of them are right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and listen, and, and I think that this year you, you have real sympathy for the, the, the teams in this position and you have multiple leagues. So, you know, again, I, I feel like, you know, Michael Resco goes on fine bomb and he's off on this. There's a lot more sympathy this year than when he would stump for UCF, right? Like it just feels like we went through those years with UCF. We knew those were a good team, but you're like, Oh, they're kind of like, you're so in your face about it, which I love, by the way, I love declaring <laughs> I himself a national champion, all of that it's stuff. Awesome. But People like this year, you've got Coastal, you've got um, Cincinnati. And, you know, they, I think there's more sympathy. Like they're just doing all they can. And um, they're different leagues. And the Sun Belt did play the Big 12. They tried in a year where it was really hard to try to play games like that. And so all of these things. And it just feels like people have more sympathy for the little guy and also just like fundamentally question the system because now we're six years in and the same frustrations are happening. Like, did you ever imagine that you have people literally making the case to go back to the BCS and to computers, but that's where we are. Yeah. I, I, yes. And, and I get it. Like, it's interesting. I, I saw something from, I think the former Boise state AD where he was talking about the fact that like, look, if we'd beaten Nevada, we would have made, we, we, we could have made it and we know we could have made it right? Like we would have had access to that, but we didn't. But now a team like Boise would not have access to that. They just would find a way to keep them out. That's just what would happen. Yeah. It just, <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it's madness. It, like we, we knew that it was going to be subjective. We knew there'd be a human element, but I think now that we're living it, it feels less fair than just a computer system that like was at least more predictable. And I think that's, what's frustrating. It's not predictable. 
And it's, it's, you know, it, it can feel insulting to those of us who are spending our Saturdays watching these teams. When you see Florida, you watch that game. We've been watching LSU all year and they yeah, go down LSU one spot. LSU is bad. And half their team opted out essentially. And it was a bad loss and a bad game. They didn't look good in the game. And so to, to see the one spot drop, you know, that's just, that's the frustrating part. And so it, it's, I don't know where you go from here. I do think, you know, expanding to eight, having an auto spot for, you know, designated spot for a group of five, having true at large spots um, to at least, you know, give, give hope, give it, give a chance, keep more teams in the hunt to keep us interested instead of talking about the same Alabama, well, Clemson, Oklahoma. That's, the thing. that's my issue right now too. It's like even during the BCS, you know, they used to say the season is a playoff. And it and it did feel more like that, you know. It felt yeah. a loss. A loss certainly two losses was disqualifying. Basically, like you were done. You had no shot at anything at that point. And you know, a loss you could maybe overcome, kind of, but it was still a big deal when one of the favorites would fall, and it was like that could that could doom their chance, you know. And now that's not what the season is because these teams are good teams and they've won all their games and they have literally no chance. So it's not a playoff. It's just not. Yeah, no, it's again, it's an invitational. And so again, if you don't have a weekly show where you're telling us every week that this is fair, that this is such a process, there's so much evaluation. If you just did one thing at the end and you, this group just said like, here's who we're inviting to our invitational, it's fine. I think that's like a lot better. And we're not feeling like they're selling us something we're not getting because they're trying to say that this is a fair process. And then again, it's like the weekly elements of this that I think is also frustrating. We've seen, I mean, the fact that this year, first of all, you've got Florida's athletic director in this room. So yeah, recusal policy, leaving your hat at the, you know, at the door, whatever, all of those things. Sure. But Florida drops one spot after the worst loss that a top team has had this year. Um, And that guy, you know, Scott Strickland is in the room. And are you subconsciously making decisions because you're friends with them? Because you're spending yeah. the rest of the week with him. You know, so so it's like, okay, well, you're adding that element of doubt and questioning. Then you also have this year, Gary Barta, the chairman of this committee, is an Iowa athletic director. He was part of the meeting that decided whether or not Ohio State should be allowed to play in the Big Ten championship game to boost their playoff resume. He is the playoff selection chairman, right? So, you know, we've, we've seen those conflicts of interest with sitting athletic directors, but they're again even more stark this year and and not like in a conspiracy theory way just in a this is really awkward that they set up this system to and this type of thing can happen in it no for sure and i mean look it's not like a conspiracy it's just a bunch of like largely power 5 affiliated people in a room together that are convinced that the power 5 is the only that's the only way to go in terms of those are the only teams that could have any worth in the playoff. And there's no way that a team from another league could be remotely as good. Like that's just what they think. And that's Mm -hmm. it. I mean, and there's just, there's no way you're going to change their minds on that. Um, We have one element of somewhat suspense this weekend, I guess, in terms of, you know, obviously the ACC championship game has implications and naturally it's the first time it's not at night for some reason. (laughs) It's the 4 p.m. Uh, game between Clemson and Notre Dame. And and it's definitely an interesting game. I'm, I, I'm personally very interested in it. I think a lot of people have kind of assumed that, okay, well, 
Clemson will win this one and they'll both get in the playoff. And that's, I mean, that's probably the likeliest thing, but I don't know. I don't know. I can't help but be a little hesitant to just assume that's going to be the case. I like a lot of things about Notre Dame. Um, I think Clemson's the better team when at full strength, but it, you know, it's closer than I would have thought like a month or so ago, say. I am very much looking forward to this game. I, I think Notre Dame is coming to into it with a very interesting position where you, I mean, I'm convinced unless they're blown out, they're, they're shooing for the playoff, right? Like, I mean, again, if a team like Ohio state is in the fourth spot right now, like you've got to feel really good about Notre Dame and the best win in the country to date and so, and then, you know, you know, it would be Clemson avenging their only loss, right? So again, I think like this is laid out very well for the ACC where if it's a good game and Clemson wins, it's, it should be no question that both teams get in. I, I do think that if Notre Dame wins again, I think then, then yeah. like then there's a real potential for chaos and a lot of people to be angry about a lot of things. Cause like, I, 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 I think it get even worse actually in terms of like, because then you'll see a team get in that a lot of people will be like, really? No. Right. So, so let's say, let's say, okay, there's a few different scenarios and we could just hit on them very briefly. Dabo's already politicking that Clemson should get in if they lose. What if the committee was like, well, it's basically one loss. Cause it's the same team. Like we do think they're one of the four best teams, even though they would just have one top 20 win over Miami. Um, but you know, like the first time they played Notre Dame, they weren't at full strength. And then it's the same team. We still think they're one of the four best teams. They're just a bad matchup for Notre Dame. What if they said that? How mad mm. people would be? What if it or just if goes they, to A&M? How yeah. mad people would be? Like, I mean, it, yeah. it would just be chaotic. And so if you're the committee, I would think you've kind of got to be rooting for Clemson to win and just keep this like as simple as possible. Yeah, it would it would really work itself out for them where they could say, well, we got the four correct teams at the end of the day if Clemson wins. But if Clemson doesn't win, yeah, you're going to get, like you said, it'll be A&M, I guess, or Clemson. I mean, there's really nobody else that could make that case, right? I mean, Florida technically, but I think we all understand that that's no. who we all ain't beaten Bama. It's not happening. No. I mean, I, I think, again, like, I also find it very interesting. Let's say Clemson does win. Um, what do you do about the potential rematch factor? Like, I would try to avoid it, especially the fact that they would just have been playing less than two weeks before the semifinal. So, so what does that mean for, for seeding? Mm. Could Alabama lose the number one spot, right? Like, all of these things are, are pretty fascinating, um, even if, you know, things kind of go as expected. But I, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I think, again, like we've, we've discussed about that, that Notre Dame-Clemson game the first time. You know, it was less about Trevor not being available and, and more about, you know, the guys that were missing on defense and Tyler Davis and James Kowski mm-hmm. and those guys. And so, you know, a more healthy defense against Ian Book, who is now playing to this level that I didn't know he was capable of. Like, I'm that's, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> it's been super fun. That's the thing. Like, and I, I, I was one of those people. Look, I was one of those people that was like, he's very meh. Like, he's fine. You could do way worse as a quarterback. Like, and he makes some plays, but, you know, for large parts of games, he's like kind of, mediocre but this year and especially like you said at the end like he's really stepped up his play the way he played against North Carolina was really impressive to me and like yeah North Carolina's defense isn't amazing but they have talent it's young 
and they played very well. And he still just managed to, and they were missing some offensive linemen in that game, to be fair to Notre Dame. And he, he still, he managed to make plays that were, I mean, they were the reason that they won the game. And yeah. I, I, I was super impressed with him. I was impressed with the way he played and their whole team played against Boston College in a very obvious letdown situation. Um, and against a Boston College team that I think is is very good. It, well, very good. That's putting it strongly. It's good. It's a good team <laughs> when healthy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was just I was I was I've been really impressed. I, I can't I can't say enough about it. I mean, enough about him. So I I do think it will be Clemson will be healthier certainly, and that'll help. But they certainly have you know I think some spots where Notre Dame could could have some success for sure. Um, it's it's. I don't think it's going to be a, I would be really surprised if it were a blowout. It could be, but I, I would be pretty surprised if it were a blowout either way, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I would too. And and I think that that, that's actually nice though. I mean, think about how many ACC championship games um, we've, we've said that about, right? Like, I think that's also an underrated part of this. Having Notre Dame as a member of the league is how amped we are for the ACC championship game. It's not just the, whoever wins the coastal, um, you know, earning the right to get beat badly by Clemson. Right. So I think, I think that's cool. I am with you though, on the, the, the kickoff times are super weird across the board for championship games. Like the only normal thing is that the PAC 12 is having theirs on Friday night, but like the big 10 game is at noon. It, it's just going to be bizarre. And then you have a lot of regular season games still happening as well. So it's going to be a strange championship weekend, but, and it's, we're already like, you know, halfway through December, which also makes it strange, but we made it like we're here. These leagues got in their games. They got to the point of having conference championships. Like this is the finish line for commissioners, the ADs and all these folks. I mean, as we've seen the ACC, you've had a number of teams opt out of the bowl. Like this was the finish line and the ACC got there and we all got there. Yeah. And I I was, you know, I mean, it it hasn't been without its uh, hiccups so to speak, obviously you're playing, playing in a global pandemic, you're going to have those, but it, it, you know, props to John Swafford and and the job he's done in his final year of, of finding a way to make this work. And I think it would have been easy for, for him to sort of when the big 10 and and PAC 12 were pulling the plug to just say, we're not going to, you know, just say that, okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do that too. But he didn't, he didn't do that. And they felt like their, uh, you know, their medical information was good. And, for the most part, thank God. I, and there's been a few, I think, cases. I know Al Blades at Miami, um, Cam Underwood told us last week from State of the Union, he has myocarditis. Um, they think that it's going to be okay with him, but he obviously can't play for a little while until they get that figured out. But um, thankfully, there's been less of that than I thought. Um, and for the most part, you know, knock on wood, because we're not done. But for the most part, I think they're getting through it. Um, and everybody seems to be relatively healthy. And that's certainly very good news and not something I thought going into the season at all was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I do think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great that we're learning more about the virus and how it impacts different um, populations. And I, I think that some of these conferences, I think the big 10 and the PAC 12 both are contributing to like research studies on this. So there, there's certainly even just like going one step further, um, other positives that are coming out of this that we couldn't even have foreseen. But I, I, if, if we had thought back in June, July, that we would be here, you know, every power league playing and getting to a conference championship game, 
I don't know if I would have believed you if we had said that. So I, I do think it's worth at least acknowledging the accomplishment that it was to get through the season. Um, you know, I think the players in particular did an incredible job across the board following protocols. I don't know how, if I could have done the same in that position and it's, it's just remarkable. And we're going to get to a college football playoff. We're going to get to the point of crowning a champion. Like it's kind of wild to say that. It really is. It really is. ACC awards will be interesting too. I vote for AP, um, which doesn't mean anything. I mean, it means something, I guess, to AP. So I'm happy to do that. But um, it was an interesting thing to like, it was an interesting process for me because it was like, you look at like a Sam Howell and the numbers he's put up and, and Trevor Lawrence missing some time. I ended up going with Trevor Lawrence, but it was closer than I thought it would be. So yeah, it was it because at the end of the day, never actually averaged more yards than Sam did, even though he played fewer games. Um, and obviously, Trevor's getting pulled in garbage time a little more than Sam Howell is. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it'll be interesting to see that and coach of the year too. I spent a lot of time with that, and I wonder for the actual one, like, will the ACC like mainstay media members vote for Brian Kelly? I don't know. I think it's between Brian and, and, and like a Dave Doran, in my opinion. I think it's probably between those two guys as to who gets it. So that'll be interesting to watch, too. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I think there's more intrigue about some of that this year. And, um, you know, it's it's it it made it more interesting, you know, to, to have teams like that. I do think it would be ultimately pretty hilarious if. Notre Dame got a one-year rental to the ACC and won the ACC championship. It would be pretty funny. It would. It would be really funny. And then, like, I've been thinking about this all week. Like, what do you do with the trophy? Did you just put it, like, out right in the front so that everyone sees it all the time? Like, the one year you had to join a conference and you won it? Like, I I would just be extra obnoxious about it. Yeah. And, and, like, knowing Notre Dame as, as well as I do, they totally would do that. Right, like they, yeah, <laughs> they would. I, they would, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, we got all the puff pieces at the beginning of the year about like how college football should thank Notre Dame, and I'm like, are you kidding me? But you know, again, at the end of the day, it's been mutually beneficial, and it's going to be a really good championship game. Maybe the one change this leads to, maybe, is maybe it leads to the ACC finally deciding to scrap divisions. Um, yes. I will be. I will be, I get it if they do, but I think you and I are on the same page in the sense of, um, you know what? I'll miss the coastal. Yes. Well, first of all, I think that it would also be fitting to have ended on seven for seven. So if we are going to do it now is the time because it ends on a perfect note. And, you know, I mean, listen, I understand the pros and cons of considering Notre Dame counting as a coastal to have eight for eight, but I'm counting it. So also perfect. I, but I'm with you. I think I, I wish more leagues. I think the big 10 should also get rid of divisions. Like you should just be playing your two best teams in the championship game. And so I do hope that that is something the ACC considers in the off season because this has worked out. This has been better. This is your, you, we're, we're so amped about this game because the two best teams are playing in it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but I, you know, this is why it's, it exists for a reason and it exists because the coaches want to have something that they can point to as like, Hey, we want a division. Like that's the reason that it exists. Right. Like that, that, that literally is yes. the reason. 
um, is yeah. because coaches want to be able to say, oh, we won X division. Now, Atlantic division coaches may not feel that way, obviously, because Clemson's on their side. But that is, I think, why it continues to exist. And so who knows? I mean, maybe there's momentum away from it. And they say, you know, sorry, one less thing you can write into your contract for a bonus. <laughs> And maybe you not. The coaches are going to get bowl bonuses this year since everyone's been eligible. Oh, wow. I don't know. I've been well, thinking I mean, about this. Um, I think technically, yeah. Like, I know uh, Joe Giglio, who writes for uh, WRAL Sports Fan, uh, which is where I also write, he did a piece about the, that uh, Mac and Mac Brown and Dave Doran do have bonus money coming their way. Um, hmm. I'm sure Mac, Mac a little more potentially if uh, Clemson can get that win and then Carolina goes to the orange bowl, presumably. Um, so yeah. Um, I think so, but yeah, I guess it depends. And that's, that doesn't that make it, it makes it kind of awkward with like the teams that are like, we don't want to go to a bowl. Right. <laughs> are they, are they saying, Hey, do I still get my bowl? It's just like, I mean, right. there's so many, so many questions about all of that. Um, and, and obviously like, they're just incredibly dumb incentives written into all of these contracts. But this is a, a one that in normal years like makes some sense, um, especially when you have a winning record. I mean, uh, like David kind of, isn't getting a bowl bonus, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, but technically, I they're that. eligible. Technically, they're eligible. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what the language actually is. Yeah. I'd have to. I I don't know though, man. Like in, an, in another life, I don't know that I beg for that right now. I'm just saying, Lauren. In another life, we could be football coaches and have crazy incentives, and then we can become fired football coaches and just be oh, rich. God, yeah. or, or like their agents, because those guys are like yes. wizards. Like those guys bewitch every athletic director into putting absurd buyouts and all this other stuff into the contracts and. That yeah, I, I those guys must be making a ton of money, um, and uh, but they can also get you get you into trouble like uh, Jimmy Sexton did with Scott Satterfield. So there's that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> that, can, that can that can ding your reputation a little bit um, amongst your own fan base and other fan bases because I know I don't view Scott Satterfield the same as I used to. So, um, yeah. but you know, and not because he interviewed with South Carolina or whatever, but because of what he said after that about like players needing to be more loyal to a school than coaches. I just thought that was complete garbage. So, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, to come back as in another life as a fired coach, what is Kevin someone going to make like 15 million or something in total by like total. Yeah. I think, I think it was like eight and now it's seven. I mean, Gus still, this is like a new level of, Oh my God. Of peak. Cause he's getting paid half of the $21 million buyout within a month. And then what? payment plan after that. Yes. Why? Was that written in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's due half of it within a month. What is wrong with these people that do these contracts? Like, literally. What? <laughs> oh, my God. That's insane. I didn't know that was a thing. Holy crap. Glad How to be able to break some news. I, I'm I'm literally just sitting here in sunset, which is probably a good way to get you out of here because I'm like, how do you even write that in? Uh, Nicole Auerbach, tell everybody where they can find you. I think most people probably know by now, but uh, tell people anyway. Yeah, um, I write at The Athletic. I am on Twitter, just at Nicole Auerbach. Um, Instagram has more dog content. 
And <laughs> I also am on SiriusXM ACC channel at least once a week. So all over the place, all over the place. But it's uh, it's fun. Nicole knows her stuff really well, obviously, but she's also very well connected and has a lot of great insight. So I'm, I'm glad I could get her on to talk about Jim Phillips and everything else. So, uh, Nicole, thanks so much. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. All right. Until next week, everybody. And then I guess we'll have to start talking some basketball, although it's admittedly still very weird for me. Uh, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.